Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, welcome to The Scent Life today. We've got to pick up with uh, a segment that we started last season uh, with our friend and colleague, uh, Keelan Cook. Uh, who's out in Houston, Texas. This is our People's Next Door segment where we talk about the opportunities we have in the United States of America for reaching the nation. So, Keelan, welcome back to The Scent Life. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's great uh, to be here. Glad to, glad to do it. So, Houston, Texas, man, you guys have been uh, kind of in the headlines a little bit lately, and uh, this hit you, <laughs> you and Meredith at a uh, kind of an interesting moment, didn't it? Man, it did. Uh, yes, yeah, so we've we've had some cold cold weather out here. That's probably an understatement for Houston. Uh, temps got down into about the teens for for a better part of two or three days. And uh, when you're just used to balmy at at best, then the teens really doesn't work for you. And so we've got a seven million person metro here that kind of grinded to a halt for a few days. Uh, and that happened right when we were planning on having our second child delivered. So it was a really, really interesting experience for us. Uh, on the other side of it, though, everybody's happy and healthy. Baby and mom are both doing great, so we're we're in good shape. Yeah, you got uh, you. You guys had planned planned to have a baby, unlike most people in the world who uh, just kind of take it at the spur of the moment. And you still you still nearly got stuck, didn't you? We did, in fact. So we had a, a scheduled delivery uh, for, uh, for our child. His name's Ezra, by the way, so I'll just start referring to him as Ezra. But we had a scheduled delivery, and it happened kind of right at the height of the ice storm. And so my wife and I, thinking ahead, we're like, oh, well, let's just go ahead and go get a, a hotel room across the street from the hospital so that we can just walk across if we have to. And we drove across the metro to our hospital and to that hotel, only to find out that the hotel had lost its power and its water, and they were now turning all of the folk away. So we had to come back up here. We lost power that night. And then we drove back down the next morning <laughs> to try to have the, the baby. Mm. Well, man, we're, we're glad. You know, a lot of people suffered severely uh, during this. And maybe in Texas, you still got some people hurt. We sure are glad you guys are okay. Glad Meredith and the baby are good. And you guys are healthy. Getting any sleep? A little bit. Uh, this one is uh, surprisingly a pretty good sleeper so far. Now we're like a week, two weeks into this thing, right? So uh, talk to me in a couple of weeks and it may be a different story. You'd be like Greg. Greg's got four girls. He sleeps all the time anyway. That's right. That's right. My job was done once they hit about five years old. At least that's what I tell my wife. So there you have it. <laughs> don't try that. Kid. Uh, yeah, don't, don't. Um, so again, glad to have you continuing the segment uh, that we love to build upon people's next door opportunities here uh, in our own communities and across the nation. And in some of our conversation in the past, Keelan, uh, really touched on this area of diaspora missions. Mm -hmm. and, and we want to pick up on today's episode, kind of uh, connecting a few more dots to that. And one of those, uh, even in the past year, uh, that missions has been flipped on its head in many ways in terms especially uh, of sending and, and even going uh, outside of sometimes our own community, but, but much less going to other countries. And so uh, one of the areas we wanna hit on today uh, is this area of diaspora missions, but how might we tap into that in terms of equipping 
our international missionaries. And so that's the conversation today. Uh, of course, Keelan, this is your world that you swim in. But for our listeners, uh, let's connect, uh, kind of provide a framework for them before we just jump in. First, Keelan, answer this. Uh, give us a quick working definition or understanding. What is diaspora missions? What is that? Yeah, so that's that's our first question, isn't it? Is what in the world do we mean when we use that word diaspora or diaspora? So it's a Bible word. Uh, the word is connected to the Jewish people uh, in the scriptures and how they got scattered uh, when they left their homeland. They were pushed into exile. And then you wind up seeing it. Uh, there's two or three times you'll see it in the New Testament where it talks about the Jews that are kind of scattered all over the Mediterranean. Right. Mm -hmm. So the word diaspora, it's its roots are in, in the Greek word. Um, and uh, it's really just means to scatter, like sowing seed or something to that effect. But we've really attached that word to peoples. Yep. And uh, in modern times, uh, so the Bible used it this way, but we use it this way too in modern times. Sociologists and anthropologists, they mm -hmm. talk about a diaspora group of people. And really all that means is a group of people that live somewhere other than where they were born, some other country. Yep. Uh, so right now, and uh, this is pretty common in the news. Most people realize this global migration for the last 20 or 30 years is at a higher point than it's ever been in recorded history. Okay. There are more people moving from one country to another country in the world right now than, than we've ever seen uh, written down at least. Right. Because of that, this conversation about diaspora peoples or a group that now lives in a country that's not where they're from, mm -hmm. How do we engage these groups with the gospel? Are they uh, a unique opportunity that we've been given now to maybe reach some groups that were really hard for us to get to in the first place? And so that's the concept of diaspora missions okay. is how do we take advantage of what God's doing by moving these people around all over the world? How do we take advantage of that for the sake of the Great Commission? Yeah, that's yeah. great. You know, Ken, sometimes we, we talk about things like this, and it's very easy or tempting, I guess, to just get hung up on the political, legal aspects of whether it's immigration in the United States, legal, illegal immigration, and the economy and everything that goes with that. But that's we're trying to look on a different theme here. This is not a this is not a political conversation. It's not an economic conversation. It really is a missiological conversation. Are there are there theological truths or biblical passages that can give us some handles on thinking theologically, missiologically about diaspora? Oh, certainly there are. Um, so for one, you've got kind of passages all through scripture that talk about the sojourner and the stranger. Uh, you've got a lot of passages in the Old Testament that talk about how we should take care of the foreigner in our midst. Right. Um, but in particular, if you want kind of a theological framework for how I think we should consider migration in general right now. A uh, real classic passage that people will turn to is Acts 17, okay. uh, where Paul is giving his sermon there in Athens, and he makes the point in that sermon that it is God who determines the boundaries and time of man's dwelling. And so Paul is clear, God is sovereign over when and where people live. Uh, there's, and Scott, you said it a second ago, there's all kinds of reasons, small r, why people move from one place to another. Sometimes it's persecution, sometimes it's political issues, uh, sometimes it's economic issues, and there's all, it can turn into a political football real easy for us here in the States. 
So there's all these little R reasons, right? Mm -hmm. But from scripture, there's a big R reason, right? And it's that God is sovereign over when and where people live. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to give us why that is true. Uh, In that passage, he says he determines when and where people live so that they might seek God and perhaps find him. And when we have that as a fuller understanding of what's going on, regardless of the political conversation, regardless of the economic conversation, we as Christians, we as the church, I think have to see it through that lens, the one that the Bible gives us. Uh, Policy aside, if and when people move in front of us that need the gospel, we have a gospel responsibility in front of us that we need to to take seriously. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And and just, uh, you know, that idea of the biblical lens, the theological lens, and of course, here on the Scent Life, wanting to really connect that tightly uh, with missions. Uh, just for our listeners, I want to I want to tee up just a couple of kind of more missions areas, uh, and then let's let's go further in this conversation. So, I think it was around 2007 or so. Ralph Winter, who, uh, if you're involved in any sort of missions or church planting, you would at least have an idea of that name. He's he's no longer with us, but. Uh, great missiologist that, that paved the way for a lot of the work and strategy we're even doing today. But Ralph Winter, uh, in, in some writings and things of that nature, he wrote of, this, uh, of this, this idea of a borderless world, which I think gets at, at what you're talking about with globalization and migration. Uh, again, just hitting a couple things. Then I know in 2010, uh, with the Cape Town, Cape Town Con- Congress associated with Luzon, it was really kind of the first time they formalized or or recognized diaspora as a strategic focus. That's which right. Is a fascinating thing, all of its own. And then again, last piece, and, and we'll kind of pull it pull it down a little bit. I know it's about 2015, and so Keelan, you may even have some more updated uh, numbers or ideas. But just to kind of put a point on what we're talking about, 2015, uh, Lazan as well, kind of recognize that year's the year of the migrant and at least kind of going back there uh, in terms of all the international migrants across the world and, and that were living outside of their place of birth at least at that time and I think it probably still holds true although the number would be bigger the largest number of international migrants was found here in the United States, uh, there was about 50 million or so and again that was uh, about six years ago so I would assume that number's larger now. And so with all of that, just kind of building off of what you've already been talking about, Keelan, uh, just to kind of set that that backdrop of diaspora, diaspora missions, how does that connect with living out or living on mission here, uh, here in our own communities? Uh, kind of help us out there. Yeah, so real high-level conversation in there. Um, but I do, I think it connects very intimately to local church life in the States now, right? Mm-hmm. Because of what you just said. So the United States is far and away the largest recipient of global migrants, like far and away uh, because of that. Uh, what does the lived experience now look like in the States? Sometimes it's hard for us to see because we live in our own little circles and we go to our own little restaurants and we go to our own little shops. And so a lot of times we don't realize that there might be a whole community of people from a different culture who are living in and around us. And until we see that mosque or that temple uh, or that Indian restaurant pop up in the strip mall, we, we don't even realize they're there because they work in different circles than we do. And so we can often occupy the same geographic space with a group that is completely culturally different than us. 
a completely different religion, completely different worldview, completely different language in a lot of ways. Uh, and But we're occupying the same space and just moving different circles and don't realize it. So what we need to be able to do in the States now, I think, uh, so local church ministry, we need to take seriously the fact that God has brought a great many of the least reached peoples, and he's placed them in, within arm's reach of our local churches. And so here's this gospel opportunity in front of us. How do we make that connection, though, uh, if there are circles, social circles of people who are living on top of us in the same geography as we are, uh, but our circle doesn't intersect with that, theirs. What we need to do is find some simple ways as a local church to make that intersection happen. Mm-hmm. How do we get our circle to cross paths with their circle? Um, and of course, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole conversation to be had there, but you, you've got another there is is part of it. So with a level of intentionality, churches need to start trying to ask the question. Who all is around us in our community that we may not have known was here? And then what do we do about it now that we know they're here? How do we intersect with those groups in a way that is meaningful for the gospel? That's great. You know, you mentioned earlier that you got people who have moved within our sphere of influence, our geographical sphere, many of whom have come from, you call it hard to reach places, and that they are geographically difficult, but also uh, in some ways, it's unsafe in some of these areas to, uh, to even consider Christianity. And now God has brought people to the United States. We have religious freedom. Uh, folks are, are free both to share the gospel and to consider the gospel implications. So there's, there's a freedom, there's a safety, there's opportunity uh, for this. So really, um, God's given the church in the United States a tremendous opportunity unprecedented probably in missiological history uh, to see the gospel taken literally around the world. Yeah, it's incredible, in fact, because you're right. It's not just geography. Like, it's hard for us to get into some of these countries for missions. Like, there's countries that have closed off to us. But it's equally hard for a lot of these people to even have a framework where they're allowed to consider something like a gospel message. But here, there's free access to this information. We have the ability to freely share it, and they have the ability to freely consider it. So it completely changes the paradigm through which we can do missions, and it provides an opportunity for some of these people that just didn't exist where they lived before. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, Keith, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want us to talk about some of the, um, I guess, equipping opportunities that diaspora missiology provides for um, the local church. We've talked about um, reaching people who were unreachable, but when we come back, there are other things you've talked with us about that really involve being involved in diaspora mission actually makes the church better in America. So let's talk about that uh, when we come back. Sounds good. So this edition of The Scent Life is made possible by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Southeastern Seminary uh, is, a, is a seminary that is focused on the Great Commission. Our, our mission is to equip students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. As we talk week after week on The Scent Life about evangelism, church planting, uh, reaching people around the world, Southeastern Seminary is a place that is designed to equip you 
or someone you know to do just this. If you're interested in being a student at Southeastern, or if you're just interested in finding out about the ministries of the seminary or the college at Southeastern, you can go to sebts.edu and uh, find out more about what we do, what we teach, and uh, how you can be a part of the movement that is Southeastern Seminary. Again, we're here with Keelan Cook. We've been discussing uh, diaspora, uh, just the realities that there are millions, if not billions of people uh, really moving around the world, uh, living outside their places of origin. And honestly, if we open our eyes in our own communities, we find them right here. And these people represent uh, places in the world where it's difficult to take the gospel uh, for multiple reasons, but we have opportunities in our everyday lives. And so Keelan, uh, as, as we've understood that more and more, talk to us a bit about the, uh, maybe the strategic or the intentional equipping opportunities through the church here in, in the States, as we think about these uh, various groups of peoples now in our own communities from all around the world. How, how can we think strategically and equipping uh, as we reach out to these peoples? Yeah, so here's something that I think is just really cool about this. In God's providence, he's given us so, so much of a gift in this. Uh, there are two very important goals that I think a church can accomplish when they start thinking about the diaspora that is around them. One, uh, churches, them, churches should just be involved in reaching these communities ar around them. Hmm. Uh, God has placed us in a particular location, and he's placed these people on top of us, so any church that is around a diaspora community needs to think seriously about how are we going to share the gospel with these people? Uh, how are we going to partner with other churches around us to share the gospel with these people? So there's that, there's that one is, is a church. It's their responsibility to minister to them. Second, though, uh, cross-cultural missions here, because that's what that is, right, is right, reaching yeah. across cultures here. Uh, it, it's actually an excellent way to prepare people for cross-cultural ministry overseas hmm. as yeah. well. And so there's this two-edged sword dynamic to this. We're getting to do good gospel ministry where we are, but in doing so, it's actually helping us raise up people to, to continue sending over there. That's good, yeah, because, you know, it's often we think about, man, God's calling people or we're hoping God calls people out of our church to serve internationally, but the, the transition from life in the States to life overseas is sometimes so dramatic that people can stumble and maybe not do uh, exactly what they they are overseas. They get kind of caught up in a culture shock. We often say things like there's no transformation by aviation, that you won't be doing something over there, wherever there is, that you weren't doing here. And uh, being involved in diaspora missiology uh, gives you the opportunity to practice here a little bit differently, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. Uh, the opportunities for us to be able to provide real, live, not theoretical, live cross-cultural missions experience, I don't think we've ever had an opportunity like mm. this in local churches in the States uh, to be able to prepare and equip people to do a lot of what a missionary does when they get on the ground and just have to figure out how to do, or perhaps they get trained in an orientation of some form with a missions agency. But now as local churches, we can have people start leaning into those processes already and have a lived experience, mm. not just something they've read in a blog post or seen in a, in a course or heard in a, a classroom, but a lived experience in how to do this kind of work. Yeah. So what are a few of those things, Keelan, that may be 
serving cross-culturally in America, trying to reach people from a different culture in America. What are some of those skill sets or attitudes, mindset shifts that can take place uh, through, that, through that type of engagement? Yeah, so I think one of the most significant ones for me is the difference between cultural expertise and cultural acquisition. Let me explain what I mean by those, those terms there. So I think there's this prevailing myth that often exists in local churches that for me to be a missionary, I have to be an expert in XYZ culture to be able to reach them, to be able to go over there and serve with them. And so there's almost this point of arrival I have to hit before I can engage in any particular kind of task with those folk. And that's a myth. It's absolutely a myth. Um, so when I served with the International Mission Board, uh, I went through training. Uh, they have a, a great orientation process. But when I landed, when my plane landed in the country where I served, I did not know the language and I didn't really know the culture. I wasn't an expert in any of that stuff. What I had been trained how to do was think like a missionary. Mm. I'd been trained how to acquire an understanding of the language and acquire an understanding of the culture. We have an opportunity to go ahead and help people understand that dynamic here. If we can use discovering peoples in our own community as a way to, to teach people the skills necessary to go into a different culture and learn that culture and learn that worldview in the, in the way that allows them then to contextualize the gospel with understanding then we're really teaching probably the primary skill as a missionary. That's good. Yeah. Now that's helpful. And, and kind of to build on that, again, a lot of our listeners are, are those pastors or those missions leaders that are those equippers. And so I really like this idea that, yes, we want to reach our communities and engage the people around us, but it's also an opportunity to train up those that are thinking about cross-cultural context. And in some ways it might help, uh, that first term uh, go a bit smoother uh, in mm. some ways, or, uh, and we don't have time today, but maybe we come back to, would it help longevity, uh, even on the field? Um, uh, but, but speak to those that are kind of in those frontline kind of equipping roles uh, of our listeners. What, what does this mean beyond just, hey, go out in your community and get to know the people? Like, what, what does this begin to look like to strategically kind of equip your people, whether they're gonna stay in your community or whether they're thinking about cross-cultural ministry? Yeah, so some practical steps here, right? What, how, how does a church operationalize this concept? They say, we realize these people may be here, we need to find them, well, what do we do? Right. So uh, each church will, will eventually wind up developing a fairly unique process mm -hmm. or strategy for this. So okay. make it fit into the warp and woof of how you guys do stuff. Hear that as a caveat on the front end. That said, when I've seen churches do this effectively, there's several steps that, that kind of lay out in the process. One, it's easiest often if you're a pastor, missions leader in a church, just to identify a warm core of people in your church that would just be interested in this kind of work in general. Yeah. Uh, if you can find three, four, five, 10, 12 people in your church that maybe they already are starting to have an eye, or maybe they've came and said, hey, do you realize there's a mosque over there? What does that mean for us? Uh, and so starting to identify people that are, may already be sensitive to this issue. That way you've got a warm core you're starting with. It just tends to help operationalize the thing. Right. From there, 
uh, there's really two big phases to doing good diaspora missions as a local church in your area. One is people group discovery, and the other is people group engagement. Uh, we've two questions we've got to ask. Who's yep. here, and what do we do when we find them, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so the who's here question, There's it, it sounds like it's going to require an anthropologist, right? Like, well, we need somebody that can pour through census data and all that kind of stuff. You don't need any of that, though. That's not what's necessary for a church to engage in good people group discovery. What you need is a small group of people from your church that are willing to go in that new uh, West African market, or they're willing to, to find out, you know, who owns that Indian restaurant, or they're willing to start going to some new places that they hadn't gone before, some kind of point of interest. It might be a shop, it might be a market, it might be a restaurant, it might be a temple or a mosque, and uh, start engaging with the kind of people that patronize those places. And as you do that, if you just ask some simple questions about where they came from and, and uh, basic cultural questions, you start to develop an understanding of that community and who's here. And uh, it's pretty easy to actually get pulled into some of those networks just by being welcoming to mm -hmm. them. It's a thing they don't often get. And uh, so discovery can start as simply as that. Start trying to figure out those ways where your community can intersect with theirs. Uh, then provide opportunities for your congregation members to engage in work with these groups. Uh, and that may look as different as however you do ministry, sure. but the more opportunities you can provide, the merrier. Uh, find some unique ways to do it. It might be a particular holiday where you can serve that community now. It might be a way for you to uh, teach people that one Saturday or one Sunday a month, they need to go to lunch at one of these restaurants instead of these after church. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that you can start doing that, but as you get your people to connect and intersect with them, help them think about how they can turn a corner toward understanding the culture and worldview so that they can then proclaim the gospel in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So start equipping your people for that work. And the long view here, what I love seeing is when a church gets so into this kind of work that they almost develop their own little missionary team, a missions team, like we'd send overseas to a particular people group exists inside of their church right. and it might be a small group in the church but it's four five eight ten people that like this is their ministry of the church they love doing this they welcome these people to the area they're all the time having dinner at their homes they're doing bible studies and these kind of things in a cross-cultural way and that winds up doing two things for you it becomes a long-term outpost in your church that is doing cross-cultural missions to these people, maybe even discovery Bible studies that can lead to some church plants and the language of this group in your area. But it also becomes an incubator mm -hmm. for equipping people to go be missionaries overseas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So really, mm -hmm. the opportunity for diaspora missions that God has given to the church is kind of multifaceted, right? I mean, it, it gives us the chance on one hand uh, to reach people, uh, that previously be very difficult to reach with the gospel. People have the opportunity now to consider the gospel in safety, consider the gospel with religious freedom. It gives us the chance to do that. It also gives provides a discipleship opportunity for those who are in our church to engage cross-culturally, to develop those skills that may, uh, may be helpful here, helpful overseas, but also God can use those to call people overseas. And then it just gives the church a it's missionary vision, it's missionary front. So God really, by bringing people from other places to the United States, has given the church a great gift, and uh, we want to make sure we take advantage of that, don't we? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I like how you said uh, kind of at the end, those two different things, uh, really reaching the community, but you use this word on the other side of being an incubator. Uh, as we think about uh, equipping cross-cultural workers, international missionaries. Um, and so just kind of boil this down for us, just kind of a couple of takeaways, Keelan. Dig a little bit deeper into this incubator idea, how, how you see that kind of rubber meets the road, again, for those that are trying to raise up folks to send out. Uh, yeah, just kind of boil that down. How is this an incubator? I mean, we have an idea, but just boil that down for us. Sure. So, I mean, the, the obvious here, right, is it's, it's a place where people can uh, learn and practice skills and concepts about how to do. However, there's something deeper than that, I think. Uh, when a church really starts to engage in this kind of stuff, it, it creates within the church a culture that produces an affection for the loss of mm -hmm. other cultures. And it opens up the frame of view for church members, because all of a sudden they're seeing uh, the gospels for the nations. And I'm, I don't like, I'm not hearing it in a theoretical sense. Cause I saw some YouTube video from one of our missions agencies that we played, you know, on a Sunday morning service. That's great. We need to do more of that too. But the lived experience that can be created by this blows open that frame of view. And all of a sudden people develop a heart for this kind of work and a heart for it man, that's really crucial when it comes to identifying and calling out those from among us who would be the ones we'd send overseas. No, that's really helpful. And Keelan, uh, this is so interesting. I, I know we'll come back at some other times and, and keep uh, talking about diaspora and the opportunities here in, in some other people's next door segments. And so thank you for joining us, but I'd love to pray uh, really for our listeners uh, as we've talked today for those that are trying to reach their communities and also those that are creating these incubators uh, of those that they would equip and send out. So let's pray uh, for them. Lord, we do thank you that uh, you are sovereign and you uh, even says in your word as we started off in our podcast today that uh, from one man, you made every nationality uh, to live over the whole earth. You determined their appointed times and the boundaries in which they live. And so God, that is from you. And it's a, it's a gift, even in these days of globalization and migration and diaspora. Lord, we look around our own communities and they look very different than they did even five or 10 years ago. And that's a gift from you. And so give us eyes to see. Lord, I pray for uh, our pastors that are listening, for our missions leaders, for uh, just our men and women engaged in the workplace and in their community that uh, perhaps right now that uh, you would use this conversation to spark them to uh, go to uh, that restaurant, uh, the ethnic restaurant, Lord, to, to visit that other place of worship and, and to pray and to engage. Lord, I do pray that we would not squander uh, the opportunity to reach many people that are from places that the gospel hasn't found its way to yet, at least humanly speaking, Lord, or places where it's difficult for people to consider the claims of Christ, yet they can do that now in our own homes, in our own communities. And so I pray uh, that you would uh, strengthen and encourage those that are equipping, Lord, those that are considering cross-cultural work, Lord, I pray that you would give them multiple opportunities to get their feet wet here, and they can see that they can do what they're doing here, they can just do it somewhere else. Uh, and so, Lord, we ask that you continue to send uh, to the nations, Lord. Again, thank you for Keelan. Thank you for his work. 
Uh, Father God, thank you for our listeners. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Keelan. Appreciate Thanks, you Keelan. being with us. Yep. Absolutely.